0: Thank you so much, Claire. We ask you on the spot every time, and we don't take it for granted. Thank you. Apostle Peter says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Since you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, and in coming to Him, as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. He who believes in Him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the Builders rejected. This became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We have assembled to fellowship tonight with God and his word. I see a lot of uh, familiar faces and some new faces, and this is not the point in the visit when I make you stand up and uh, introduce yourself and tell us just a little bit, but we we do want to get to know you, and we're thrilled to see you. Welcome. Please feel welcome with the church family tonight. We're a little light. I know, I understand there's a a viral plague that's uh, going through the area, and we definitely want to keep our brothers and sisters in Christ in prayer as they struggle through. It's uh, hit our house pretty hard, and uh, we're about a week through, and um, I think we're about 40% through of our household. Y'all keep me in prayer, especially because so far, I've dodged it, but... Keep washing our hands. Let's take a moment for silent prayer, make sure we're fellowshipping with God and His Word, and uh, I'll open us in prayer. Our Father, we come to you tonight with nothing but need. But also, Father, we, in our need, we recognize our calling for gratitude. Father, we praise you and thank you for our lives. More, more, more than that, more importantly, for our eternal life. Thank you for the claim, the call you have on each of our lives as our Creator and as our Heavenly Father through the new birth, the new creation. That we are new in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the spiritual renewal that is ours every time we open our hearts to you and your word and your Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts to the truth therein. And we know tonight, Father, that's your will. that's your desire for us to know you better. So we ask in accordance with your will, expecting fully, Father, that you would give us the wisdom we so desperately need for the struggle that each one of us finds uh, ourselves in. We ask that you'd strengthen us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll turn, please, to uh, Hebrews <clears throat> chapter 10, what we were looking at on Sunday in this discussion of Christian spirituality involves the believer's priesthood, the concept of the believer priesthood for the church age believer. And we said the whole point of the, the church age, the Christian priesthood, is it's about Jesus Christ, the high priest. And we looked beginning in uh, Hebrews 7 on Sunday. But uh, the point of the, the discussion of the... It's not a major theme in the New Testament, but it is an important picture for you to get the significance of coming to God. In Israel, they could not just walk up to the tabernacle and start saying, Lord, here's the deal. They couldn't do that. But you, being the temple of the Holy Spirit yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ... You can say all the time, Lord, here's the deal. Just like Moses did before the tabernacle, like Aaron and the priests under him would do in the Levitical priesthood in a symbolic uh, ritual way. You and I have access is the point. We go before the throne of grace all the time. All the time we're going boldly before the throne of grace to ask for help uh, just in the nick of time. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, this is the point. It's the priesthood of Jesus ushers you in into the Holy of Holies, the, the, the Holy of Holies in heaven, the place, the residence of God. That's what you and I do. Now, you've, you've studied the tabernacle, I hope. I hope you understand what is presented at the end of the book of Exodus after the big event of God bringing Israel out of Egypt at Sinai, at Mount Sinai, God gives Moses the instructions for the tabernacle. And this was a special place where it was kind of a a diorama, a mock-up of God's heavenly throne room on earth. And that's why on the Ark of the Covenant, the box in which the Ten Commandments were placed, there was on top a seat called the mercy seat. And this was to be the the presence, the residence of God among his people. It was his throne, overshadowed, overcovered by the cherubim, by by these angels that were carved into the mercy seat. And so it's a picture of God's heavenly throne room and it was a place where God resided. But you see, you couldn't go in there. Nobody was allowed to go into God's presence except the high priest and that's only once a year. And the point of the book of Hebrews is, look, the temple veil has been rent in two. There was a symbolic work of God where miraculously, when Jesus died for our sins on the cross, the very physical fabric was torn from top to bottom. The the barrier between us and God is, that is a very important thing to have because holiness and sin is going to be segregated eternally at the lake of fire. But holiness and sin, there's a segregation, there's a barrier, but the barrier has been removed and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he as our high priest in the order of Melchizedek has brought us into the presence of God the Father and that is what we're talking about in Hebrews 10. So in verse 19, therefore brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated or began for us through the veil that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Now that language, draw near, captivates us, doesn't it? Let us draw near to him. But you have to put it in its context. We're talking about entering into the Holy of Holies. We're talking about going into God's presence in His heavenly throne room. That's the, that's the concept. We draw near with a sincere heart. See, this is what you're doing in prayer. When you pray, you're not just kind of going through motions and just saying memorized prayers and not thinking what you're saying. We draw near with a sincere heart. We intend, we mean it, we're, we're being sincere. And, and it doesn't mean necessarily a great deal of emotion, you know bring what you need to bring okay fervent prayer is a beautiful thing but it's not talking about emotion it's talking about meaning what we're saying and not just going through emotion see the pagans have all their little uh, mumbo jumbo all the all the other the, other peoples they cast spells in all their systems of religion spell is, spells aren't just for for uh, british isles witchcraft and druidism Everybody casts spells. Everybody says words that they just say. That's not what we're doing when we pray. We're not just saying memorized words. We're actually going with a sincere heart to the throne of grace. And look what it says In full assurance of faith. So we're bringing our faith into our communion with God, having our heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There is See, we want to throw our experience into that verse, verse 22. Well, that means that the Holy Spirit and water baptism. That's what we want that to mean. But the context is the Levitical priesthood. There's, a, there's an illustration that's being advanced. And see, the the priest had to be sprinkled with the blood of the offering, the sin offering. There was a a whole process to sanctify and purify ceremonially the Levitical priest. And part of it was a ceremonial bath. They had to wash their bodies with water. And it was a symbol for the priest. And it wasn't the first time. It was a a, a ritual thing that had to be done. Um, And so it's saying that you are Like a priest. You're a priest who is going before the throne of grace yourself. Now, have you been sanctified by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, set apart to God forever in terms of being united to Jesus in his past, present, and future? Absolutely. That's what the baptism of the Spirit does. You can read about it, I believe, in Romans 6 and also um, the explicit passage is 1 Corinthians 12. And it's a very important understanding to grasp that I am in Christ, I'm united to Jesus, and that's what the Holy Spirit did the moment I trusted in Jesus. But there's also the carrying out the the ordinance of the Lord Jesus where he says, baptize into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, where we actually do the ritual that demonstrates that inner reality that is the baptism of the Spirit. It is a an outer proclamation. And that's what the Lord's table is. It's an outer ritual that, that describes an inner reality of our faith. And the same thing with water baptism. And so he might be referring to that, but he's definitely pulling the imagery of priesthood and the preparation of the Levitical priests. So you go to the throne of grace just like one of Aaron's sons would do, one of the grandsons who was the high priest on the Day of Atonement, he could go right into the Holy of Holies with absolute confidence that he had done everything that God required and that he was actually ceremonially purified so that God would not kill him on the spot for coming into the Holy of Holies in the wrong way. Now remember, if you, if you watch closely on the, the, the garments of the, the Levitical priests and uh, Exodus and Leviticus when it talks about their garments what are they like what does a priest look like in Israel have you thought about that he's snazzy I looked it up that says that in Hebrew snazzy <laughs> it doesn't say that in Hebrew. but what does he look like I mean he's got all these different types of material um, uh, not mixed threads or anything but I'm just saying he's got these different garments on uh, there's a white robe, there is a, a, a royal blue colored sash, there's gold, there's a breastplate with uh, semi-precious stones, that's you, <laughs> somebody's got to be on the six-year-old, thank you. There is, um, there is a, a turban, and on, in, in front of that turban is a golden plate um, that says, holy to the Lord, and, uh, and it's, it's amazing how decked out and, and everyone else is in earth tones, right? They, they are. It wasn't required, but that's how it was. You're in some sort of earth tones. The priest is stand out. He's also, in a lot of his rituals, uh, got a lot of blood splattered on him. A lot of lot of blood on his garments. But he's got this breastplate uh, uh, with the ephod and the umim and thurim. And when you think about these men... They are set apart and visibly different. You see this guy? This is an official uniform. This man is doing something that is very important. So, But on the hem of the priest's robe, there's something that's really interesting. Little bells. Did you know that? Your little bells sewn onto the bottom of the priest's robe. There's a pomegranate and a bell, and a pomegranate and a bell. It's very specific when you read uh, God's instructions for the outfitting of the tabernacle and the priests. So what what is that about? Well, we think that it may be that if you can hear the bells ringing, this is rabbinical tradition too. If you hear the bells ringing you know everything's going okay, the, the man's alive. And you don't have to tow him out by a rope. By the way, they tie the priest up with a rope in case he died for getting it wrong. See, even Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they get burned to a crisp for just bringing strange fire. They mess up somehow with the offering of incense. They didn't mean to go do it different than God said. They just weren't careful. And the fire of Yahweh burst forth and consumed them on the spot. Aaron, don't you cry. That's what basically God says. Don't don't cry about it. Don't you mourn because this is the responsibility of sanctifying me, treating me as holy, God says to Aaron. Well, anyway, th- th- this is a really important thing. So when you come into the throne room of grace as a Levitical priest, as the high priest on the day of atonement, um, it's, a, it's a frightening thought. When you read about um, Zechariah, I mean the one that is the father of John the Baptist, your Bible says Zacharias. But that's because the Greek is taking the Hebrew and transliterating it. It's, it's Zechariah, is the man's name, named after the prophet Zechariah. When when he is offering incense and he sees an angel, he almost has a heart attack. He's scared to death. It doesn't say that. I didn't look, I looked that up. It doesn't say scared to death, but he's he's very frightened that he sees an angel. Everybody's scared when they see angels. It may be that he was scared that he had messed up too, because here's the angel and and I'm in the tabernacle or in the temple offering incense as it was his turn. And uh, one expositor suggests that, um, probably many expositors suggest, the angel is there um, with his announcement, but Zechariah is scared because he's the priest and he's doing this ministration of incense and you don't want to mess that up because (laughs) Nadab and Abihu. Anyway, um, I'm trying to dramatize what this is talking about when you draw near within the veil to the throne of grace. Now, one word describes what I'm talking about. It's the most common thing in the world for a believer in this time. What are we talking about? Drawing near to the throne of grace through the veil. What is that? What's that? Prayer. I'm going to God in prayer. That's all it is. But think about how tense a, a moment that was for Israel when the high priest would, would do this ministry. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith, as is Hebrews 10.23, the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works. Actually, just to, just to be a little bit nitpicky, just to pick a little bit of nit on this, it says in 10.24, let us consider one another. Main verb consider, object of verb, one another. Looking at you. Let us consider one another. See, we're looking at each other. This is the point in the message when we all stand up and give each other a look over. Actually, it's just saying pay attention to one another. And I bring that out because this paraphrase in my New American Standard, let us consider how to stimulate one another. Um, This church and churches like it need the direct object. You need to think about these people around you. Consider one another, in what sense, how to stir each other up to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, why am I talking about this? This seems to be the kind of thing that our priesthood involves. We go to God in prayer. We draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance because we're, we're clean before God. And then we hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, and then we serve God and how we treat one another. We serve God and how we treat one another. And this seems to be the ministration of the priesthood. How you treat other people for God's sake is part of what's involved. Well, my main passage is 1 Peter chapter 2. Can you go there? It's um, eight or 10 pages over further along. And we're talking about the believer priesthood. And I think the key passage on this concept is not Hebrews, although Hebrews establishes the order. It's the, the high priesthood of Jesus Christ, and you're in this priesthood in him. But then how does it work? And 1 Peter 2 uh, furthers this idea of our connection to Jesus and uh, therefore our responsibility. We'll read through 2, 4 through 10 again. Coming to Jesus As to living stone, as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, coming to Jesus, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Why? To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Who offers sacrifices after Mount Sinai? The Levitical priests. Now, everybody brings a sacrifice, but only the priests can offer it. So when you say priest to a Jewish person who's used to temple service in the first century A.D., when you say you're a priest, he's saying, where's the knife? Because that's what they do. These people had well-developed forearms and biceps because of all, and, and that's And even, you know, we're getting, all right, what are these delts? No, these aren't, these are traps. Because of all that handling of animals to sacrifice them, Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of sacrifices being conducted in the temple by the priests. So when you see, we don't know this because we're not there. We didn't go see the mass bloodletting that was the feast days. Messy business. Well, these priests would offer sacrifices. And so he says, You're a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Well, what are these sacrifices? What are they? Well, it's whatever God wants. For this is contained in Scripture, Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and the one and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Now, I am asking the Bible, what do we really learn from the Scriptures about priesthood, about the believer's priesthood? And what is the Bible telling me after it tells me I'm a, I'm a priest in verse 5? What does it tell me is the point? Verse 6, it's about Jesus. The priesthood is really back to focus on Jesus. He's the the stone that's been rejected. So we're going to quote Isaiah 28, 16. This precious value then, where is it precious? Verse 4, God thinks Jesus is precious. So the precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the world, the men reject the Lord Jesus Christ psalm 118 22 the stone which the builders rejected this became the very cornerstone see peter is the rock he's the i mean he's the little rock and jesus is the big rock i think that's what's going on in matthew 16 you can't argue that grammatically i mean i'm my, grammar is on my side of that view that jesus is the rock and peter is the little rock because that's the language that's being used petra and petros are two different words jesus is the, i it says uh um it says, Petros, you're a Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. And so, so that, in the Greek, it's two different words. So, two different rocks, and Peter's a little rock. He's like the little chip off the old block kind of rock. He's a, he's a little Jesus, if you will. He's a little Christ, or a Christian, which is what Christian originally meant when they first called us Christians in Syria and Antioch. But, um, so Peter, who is the little rock, is talking about Jesus, the rock, and he keeps talking about rocks. Look at verse 4. You come to him as to a living stone. Look at verse 5. And we as stones, as living stones. So I, I interpret Matthew 16 to be about Jesus as the rock and you're Petros, the little rock. That's why he nicknamed him that way. It's not really hard when you see the same thing happening here. He's the living stone. We come to him as living stones. And Jesus, again, all the verses in the Old Testament that point to the Messiah as a rock. It's a motif that Peter likes because Jesus nicknamed him the rock, the pebble, the little, the little stone. Peter, who was not very reliable, not very faithful, was nicknamed rock, faithful, stable. And he wasn't really stabilized until he received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And the difference between Peter, before Jesus was crucified, the night in which he was betrayed, when, when Peter ran away and denied him three times... The difference between him and Peter with uh, the Holy Spirit preaching on the day of Pentecost, you couldn't see a greater distinction. So, Jesus is actually prophetic when he calls him Petros. You will be stable. But anyway, uh, Jesus is the point of Peter's discussion when he talks about our priesthood. Verse seven, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And in Isaiah 8, 14, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were appointed. So Peter is pulling from the Psalms, from Isaiah to describe the Lord Jesus Christ in prophecy. And the whole point was that the people men rejected the lord jesus christ but god considers him precious and choice he's the one that is selected that's what messiah means mashiach means the anointed one the designated hero the the one celebrity of all human history and so this is a great i mean the theme through first peter 2 4 through 10 is don't be with the world and its rejection of christ don't think about the things of god the way the world does See them through God's eyes as He's revealed it in Scripture. God has told you what to think about His Son. And so you can join the whole world and reject the stone. You can stumble over the stone. Or you can join with God through His revelation, submitting to your Creator and be stabilized by Him. It's sad to me that the Savior of the world in Isaiah 8.14 is a stone of stumbling and and a rock of scandal, scondalion, a rock of offense or a stumbling stone. The world trips over him, falls flat on its face. There you are walking by the Spirit, and the world is on its face. That feels like, well, I mean, six and a half or whatever, seven and a half billion people can't be wrong, right? I mean, everybody's flat on their face. here I am walking by the Spirit. I mean, it's kind of lonely, isn't it? Well, actually, what we find in Numbers chapter 11 is that uh, Moses with the Holy Spirit equals a supermajority compared to 3,000 Israelites whining and crying against God. Moses says, I can't bear it. Just by way of an example, Moses says, I can't bear these people. And God says, you have the Holy Spirit. You have what you need. And that's apparently the point of Moses' little trial in Numbers 11. But uh, but Jesus is the one that even if only you and Jesus, that's that's still you win. And the and, and the world may be flat on its face, tripping over him. And this is the season when that happens, isn't it? Look at the newsstands. Look at the way the world treats Jesus. Check out the Discovery Channel or the Learning Channel, whatever these things. These are I don't know about these things anymore because we don't have this this uh, we don't pay for this. <laughs> but um whatever apparently is worth seeing, I can you can tell me about it, I'll look it up on YouTube or something later. But um but everyone wants to talk about Jesus and was he really this and was there really a historical Jesus and the scholars are all asking this question. It's very popular. It sells Time magazine and is is Newsweek still going? I think they shut down. Anyway, it just sells copy for people that, um, that are low information and they, they're not looking closely at things. And so they, oh, well, what, what's the world serving up today? Well, it's asking questions about Jesus and the validity of what we're saying. And it's saying exactly what Peter says. The world, the whole world trips over Jesus. Only those who humble themselves before God and say, how are you saying this is? We'll find him. Only those who say God gets to tell us will actually receive Jesus as he is. And this is, this is how God set it up. So when you, what I'm saying is when you say, I'm for Christ, and you witness for him, and say, Jesus saved me, and everyone else laughs at you and says, come on, just remember, they're laughing at you from an on-their-face sort of having tripped over the stumbling stone position. And what do you do for somebody that's fallen down? You don't laugh at them. You, don't, you certainly don't feel... Um, uh, Intimidated by them, right? You're not scared of somebody that's tripped over a stumbling stone. What do you do? Well, we have compassion. Wow, that looks like that hurt. I'm sorry. Are you okay? Can I help you? We have some compassion, and we love them even if they don't love us. And that's the love of God who loved us when we were still enemies, while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Okay, so in verse nine, but you are Exodus nineteen five through six. And I had to run this down because I couldn't find it in um, my simple uh, cross-references. I had to go look in the, the Septuagint to find this, but it is, I'll show you in a minute. He says, you're a chosen race. That is, uh, that sounds tough to us today because of, of racism and racial concerns. The word is genos, and it can mean generation. And so older translations might say chosen Generation. But uh, most often we think this word is a reference, uh, especially in the Gospels and well in the New Testament to the group of people. So uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants is how this word is often used, this genos of Israel. But uh, it's used from, again, um, Exodus 19.5, which is definitely talking about Israel. So it's application of Exodus 19.5 to you, the church. Now Arnold Fruchtenbaum, who I love very much, who's a, a expositor of the Scriptures and in, uh, uh, in, in the Messianic Jewish community, will say that, um, which I don't know much about, by the way, and I don't even know if it's okay to say that about Arnold. But I think that's all the Messianic Jewish people that I know know him. And uh, anyway, he in his commentary on First Peter will say this is talking about Jewish Christians only, and he'll do a distinction between Jewish Christians and gentile christians and say this is only to them because in first peter one he's talking to the diaspora and it's jewish christians but my response to that is most of the new testament was written in its original statement to jewish christians because the early church was jewish and so he is talking peter is talking about the church here and he's not replacing israel but he is saying that there are certain things that were said to them in Exodus that are applicable to us. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that's Isaiah. And then Isaiah 43:20, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, we haven't named the sacrifices from verse 5, But the first time to say something about our response to Jesus and who he is is in verse 9. And I'll take it. I think that's what he's talking about. The way we bring sacrifices that are pleasing to God is that we proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you're the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Very often, a New Testament writer will apply an Old Testament passage to the church, and that uh, has been uh, taken by some to mean that the church has replaced Israel, and I want to argue absolutely not based on the promises of God in the Old and New Testaments. All of Israel will be saved is how Romans 11 ends. There is a coming salvation for believing Israel, which has an eternal future, and this is a reference to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their offspring. There are 144,000 actual witnesses that will be spreading the gospel to the nations in uh the in the tribulation from the tribes of jacob from the tribes of israel and um for us to say well that means the church in revelation you, you don't find that word after revelation 3 and i suspect it's because the church has been raptured before the tribulation why the church is not mentioned until after uh revelation 19 well anyway um Many doctrines I would love to discuss with you, but we're talking about the believer's priesthood. The passage here is the core passage on priesthood for the church. This is where the main location it's discussed besides the high priesthood of Christ in Hebrews. So the central concept to the believer's priesthood is the sacrifices in verse 5, which might, if you're a curious person, If you're a curious kind of fella or or gal, you might want to say what is the specific thing being said in verses four and five? How is that put together? How does Peter say that in his original statement so that I'm not just reading a scholarly paraphrase that's been put together by a board of um, translators? You might ask that question. And if you're thinking what exactly... How exactly does Peter put it together in 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5? You're in luck. I mean, Christian luck. (laughs) There's no such thing as luck. It was all from God's eternal decree, because that's what we're going to do. We're going to look in some detail at 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5. This is the Greek and the English. And uh, first of all, it's a reference. It begins with a reference back to verse 3 and Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, If you have tasted the kindness of kurios, of the Lord. If you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, to whom? To whom coming a living stone by men on the one hand, rejected, but by, to God chosen and precious, also yourselves as living stones, you are being built a spiritual house into a holy priesthood in order to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Sounds like I'm speaking backwards for the first half of that. And the reason is because verse 4 comes before verse 5. But the clause in verse 4 modifies the main verb in verse 5. And in English, we like to say, verb first, modification of the verb second. I came to church because I wanted to study the word. See, I came to church would be the main clause. And the explanation for that because I wanted to study the word would be the, the subordinate clause. See how that in English works great because i came to church because i wanted to study the word i came to church that's a little more poetic but that's how this very artful greek in first peter which differs greatly from the greek in second peter uh, sylvanus is helping peter i suspect in in, in the writing of first peter as you check out the last chapter he says that's kind of the subscript of first peter it's very majestic greek and he does the modification in verse 4 and the main clause in verse 5 let me show you what, I'm, show you what I mean the literal translation of the Greek order to whom because of coming I'll clean that up for you in a minute but it's a causal participle he's modifying what he's about to say because of coming to, to Jesus a living stone by men on the one hand rejected but on the other hand by, to God chosen and precious so describing Jesus the living stone you with me so far? The main thought here is that we're coming to him. Guess what the word for coming is? You get... Uh, can you see my mouse? You can, barely. It's a tiny little mouse. <laughs> we need to blow that up to, to a, something bigger. Anyway, the word coming is proserchimai. I know you're, that's what you're thinking. That's proserchimai, Pastor Dave. Well, that's a really important word. Because you can just say "erkomai" and it means "I'm coming." I learned this in first semester Greek. "erkomai" means "I here I come." That's how I memorize it. "erkomai" here I come. "erkomai" means "I come." I am coming to towards something. But if I say "pros er then that means I'm coming toward or drawing near. Approaching would be. Uh, if I could go back, I would would have done that. We are, who, because of approaching, because remember in Hebrews 10, we're coming with a sincere heart and a clear conscience we're approaching the throne of grace or drawing near that's what's happening that's what he's describing because of drawing near to him because of approaching him a living stone also yourselves as living stones you're being built a spiritual house into a holy priesthood in order to offer offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ now I'm about to give you the David Roseland Living Translation, meaning paraphrase, of this verse, and you're going to say, a homiletics professor would say, you should have started with the paraphrase, Dave. Why? Because you want to just know what it means and how to live it. But I think that's not fair to me. I want you to have to suffer through how we get it. And I, you know, actually, it's it's not fair to you. So if you get nothing else from this little walkthrough, I want you to, I want you to this is my little commercial in the middle. I want you to notice this. Cursory reading, just a slow or even a fast just reading of the English translation, is probably designed for you to surface some questions for further and deeper study. When you get a question that hangs up, like, what's going on there? It may be theological. Very often it be a theological question. I don't really see how that statement fits into my understanding of the whole Bible. That happens to me all the time as I read the Bible. Yeah. It, it, and, and it's always happened as I read the Bible. My theology grows. It's how it's supposed to happen. Uh, you know I'm a work in progress, right? You know, you're a work in progress too. And so, so this, is, this is always happening as I read, but sometimes I read something, I'm like, how does this, what does that even mean? Because I could think of five possible different ways to take what's being said. That's the way language works. I have beloved friends who will say, see, because you've got possible different meanings of things, nobody really knows what it means, so you just have to you know, throw your hands up and, and feel it. Feel the Lord. And I'm like, well, if he had given me an injection instead of words on the page, I might say this is about how we feel. But it's not how I feel. It's calling me to actually do the work. And this is what Americans won't do. This is the work Americans are not willing to do. You ready? Hermeneutics. H-E-R-M-E-N-E-U-T-I-C-S, hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, what is that? It's the discipline and the rules by which you interpret something. How do you come to interpretation? Luther said, back to the Bible, the Catholic Church said, who's the interpreter? Yeah, we know it's the scriptures, but it has to be interpreted. And that was the the big stalemate hey, I'm with Luther, back to the Bible, but it calls me to actually interpret and do the hard work. So as you read through the Bible, you're going to have questions. You need. You hope you have questions. Don't be that person that the first you know, gloss kind of walk through. You're like, yeah, I know what that means because I kind of have an urge. I kind of have a feeling. It's calling you to further study. Now, here's another thing I'll say. Don't stop reading just because you get a little questions here and there and some hangups like I get every time I read through 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. Also, you want to say, as I read the whole thing, I generally get a sense of what's, what, what he's saying, but I'm not sure about some of these details because I haven't really pushed the details. And that's what we're doing now. We're looking for the details of how this fits together. And guess what happens? Have you ever looked at something like, imagine a micro. I was at a, a picture for you. I should have got this together. You, you, you've ever seen a ladybug? you know we get a lot of them the i don't know is it the japanese the asian lady beetle um when i was a little kid uh, i once actually i once killed one because i was a little kid and boys just you know crush and destroy and my mother said oh it was very form- formative in my life i was like probably 5 or 6 she said you killed the ladybug you tell her you're sorry and um i learned that that we have to be a gentleman to the lady but anyway um, you get a ladybug, and it's got, uh, it's got that vermilion color. The one I'm looking at is vermilion. You with me? Not one of those yellow ones. Come on, let's get like that orangey-red color, orange-red. And on his back are little black dots. On the ladybugs, ladybug's back are little black dots, and you can see those little black dots. But do you think that if you put it under 100 times microscopic magnification, that that would look different? That would be a whole different world. Would it be a different ladybug? Would the wing be a different thing? But you would know more information about it that you didn't see because you didn't um, use the microscope before. And so what you saw in the summary was there, but when you zoom in, you're like, oh, there's all this other stuff. And that's kind of what happens when we examine the scriptures. And you can get lost in details, and I'm doing my very best not to get lost in details here. But um, let me show you what's happening as we paraphrase. now. The biggest insight on this that that kind of came to me as i was studying this passage i've got to get my mouse where i want it i want the laser there we go okay now i'm now i'm in business okay you are being built for verses four and five is the main verb oikadameo In the passive voice, you are receiving this work of being built, and it's all y'all. It's the plural. You are being built. That's good news. Now, there's a reason why you're being built, and there's a purpose for the building. The reason why is because you're drawing near to him, and the purpose for the building is that you are to offer sacrifices. But this is the interesting thing. The word spiritual house is not the object of the verb being built. I would think it was. You're being built into a spiritual house. It doesn't say that. You are the spiritual house. But you're being built, object of the verb, accusative accusative, um, case in Latin and Greek means the object of the main verb, a holy priesthood. The punch of being built, what's being built is the priesthood. It's a construction project. That's why the the crane, the state bird of Texas, or the city official city bird of Dallas, Texas, anyway, the crane. Um, every time you go, every time you land at DFW, you notice that there are all these giant cranes hanging over Dallas because they're, they're always building it, and that's probably true in most big cities. But this construction project is about the holy priesthood, not the spiritual house. You are the spiritual house being built into a holy priesthood in order to offer spiritual sacrifices. I love, I love complex thoughts That require me to look at them closely let me give you my paraphrase promised I would do it because you're coming to Jesus because you're coming to him who is a living stone on the one hand rejected by men but on the other hand chosen and precious in God's evaluation there's a worldview lesson right in there who are you going to go with the way the world thinks or the way God thinks about Jesus Christ the way the world thinks, or the way God thinks about Jesus Christ. Peter makes that, it's the whole world. There are two categories. What do you think of Jesus? He is who God says he is, or he's who the world rejects him to be? You yourselves, because you're coming to him, you yourselves, as living stones, of spiritual house, are being built into a holy priesthood. Why? So that you will offer... Spiritual sacrifices, which are acceptable to God. Now, see, when I read it before, this was one of the five or six ways I could have thought this, what he was saying. But now I have no choice but to conclude that this is exactly what he's saying because I've actually looked at it closely. And Greek sometimes, well, in many cases, is way more specific than English. Cases is kind of a pun there because that's what makes it more specific. The ending of the noun tells you what that noun is doing. And it's not allowed to do other things. It's stuck doing what its, what its case says to do in, in a general sense. All right. We could bombard this thing with questions and observations, but I want you to notice. In the first part, in verse 4, the little aside, little parenthesis about Jesus is a study in worldview. The whole world knows X. And it turns out X isn't so. Men reject Jesus Christ. God chose Jesus Christ. This word choice, chosen, same word as election. I just chose, I elected to use the word chosen. You could say elect. The world rejects Jesus. God chose Jesus. What's your, what's, what's, how are you going to fall on that one? And then this is really tragic to me as Christians. We've gotten this one right. We believe in Jesus as our Savior. We've received the Holy Spirit. We've gotten eternal life. We have all that comes when you first believe. But then we listen to the world on all this other stuff. And all the world knows whatever, but God's word says it's this way. Everyone knows it's this way, but God's word says it's this way. What are some things in terms of worldview that are like that? everyone knows that um, we're supposed to equally distribute all the property and force and steal from people to take what one person has to give it to someone else we all know that the world knows that but the word of god says thou shalt not steal don't covet don't steal see which one which one will you decide on the world that knows and is laying in the dust or God's word that says. And this is a lesser issue than Christ, infinitely lesser, but it's, it's an observation. The whole world knows that we descended from slime. We crawled out of a, of a swamp, and well, first of all, there was nothing, and then it exploded, and then that somehow generated a, a celled life, and then that cellular life, babies in the womb or not, but th- that celled life is, uh, is, is, is our ancestor. Great-great-grandpa is a, is a germ. And then that thing grew legs and crawled out of the water. And then somehow, I don't know how, it grew lungs. And, uh, well, it's random mutation and, uh, and natural selection working together in a, 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 a non-disprovable tautology uh, that is really just a fantasy. But we all know it. We all, we all know that we descended from lower creatures. Except God's word says that he made us from the dust of the ground and he made animals on the same day, the land animals from the same material. And he made man to rule and he made the animals to be ruled. And uh, that's what the word of God says. But we all know. And so, see, this is a worldview study in verse four. It's a great example. If you want to teach young people, all of you young people that are going to be uh, God's agents in making disciples for the next generation, I hope you know that's why you're here. You're being equipped to make disciples of those that are going to come behind you. As you think, what am I going to say? I have one shot. I have one opportunity to say something. Grab this one. What does the world say about Jesus? And what does God say about Jesus? And if you'll start there with the gospel and then move through every aspect of life, you, like Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, will be taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, when he calls us living stones, right after saying Jesus is a living stone, he's saying we are of Christ. We are in Christ. We are, like Peter, the new creation in Christ. So Petros, there's a reason Jesus calls him Petros. It has to do with us. It has to do with our connection to Jesus Christ. As he has been resurrected, so will we be resurrected. As he is the heir of all things, so we in Christ are fellow heirs with him. Romans 8 and elsewhere. So this is your connection. When when it calls you living stones, right after calling Jesus a living stone... That's awesome. That is an identification truth. That's I am in Christ. Now, what did you learn in verse 4? As we're just, I'm just observing this with you. In verse 4, what did you learn about the way the world treats Jesus? The way the world thinks of Jesus, the living stone. Major theme in 1 Peter. They rejected him. They tripped over him. They hate him. So uh, here's the bad news you're a living stone in Christ what should you expect well you shouldn't uh be surprised peter will say at the end of first peter when you encounter the fiery ordeal of course you're going to be rejected and in the same chapter we're going to say jesus is our example we're supposed to walk in his steps and not revile in return but to trust ourselves to the one who judges righteously so you yourselves as living stones at a spiritual house now uh, interpreters will make a big deal out of temple here. A spiritual house is a temple. So you're a temple. Okay. You're also priests. You're being built up into a holy priesthood. And the reason for the priest is why? Why did God make Levitical priests? So that Israel could have fellowship with God through the sacrifices. So that they could administer the sacrifices as mediators between God and the people. As the people's representative to God. So now there's sacrifices. The priest offers sacrifices so that you will offer spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God. What is the nature of our sacrifices? What are they like? Spiritual. In Romans 12, uh, one and two, he doesn't use the word spiritual, though my Bible unfortunately translates it spiritual. He used the word reasonable. But they're trying to connect Romans 12, 1 and 1 Peter 2. It does connect. Paul says, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice of God, which is your reasonable logikos, your, your rational, your appropriate service of worship because of all that God has done for you. So, of course, you give yourself to him. It's the whole burnt offering. You offer spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God. What's the key thing we're looking for in any sacrifices we offer? Any service, anything we do for him, what are we going for to make sure is the case? We don't want to be Cain, right? You don't want your offering to be uh, unacceptable. You want your offering to be what God wants it to be. Now, have uh, have you ever done the wrong assignment? Have you've gotten about 15 pages into a paper and you realize you're answering a question that the professor didn't ask, now it's like Appendix 1, in case you ever wanted to know. <laughs> this is something that I researched, but it's not what we're really working on, so now we're, you know, it's 2 in the morning. We've got 6 hours. Let's get this done. You know, Or I like to say college, right? But, but you're, you've done all this work, and it wasn't what was asked. It wasn't what I wanted. What a horrible thought. It's almost like before I learned Control-Z, when I accidentally erased my whole document and I didn't know that you could just undo that. That's back in Word uh, perfect and before. Works, Microsoft works. There was this one point there, there was this thing called a 486 computer. <laughs> Microsoft works. There was no control Z. Boy, you better save every five minutes. Well, when you find that you've done the wrong work, that you've offered the wrong sacrifices and they're not acceptable to God, that's a horrible feeling. But I suspect that's exactly what Jesus is getting at, believers in Christ, empowered by God, the Holy Spirit, to bear fruit. I think it's exactly what he's talking about in John fifteen five when he says, without me, you can do nothing. I don't want the things I do to be nothing in the evaluation of my Savior. I want Jesus Christ to think my works are his works. I want him to say, actually, I was doing this in the power of the Holy Spirit through you. This is what I wanted you to accomplish, and so you truly were your whole person, a living and holy sacrifice to God. Again, in verse 9, I think in context, one of the main sacrifices of verse 5, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light so that you proclaim him. Does that not fit with the rest of the New Testament? What does Jesus commission the church to do? To witness for him. You have the Holy Spirit in Acts 1.8 so that you'll be my witnesses throughout. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. As we look, remember the on-mission study when we're looking at how uh, Jesus equips the church after his resurrection right before he ascends. The last words of Jesus in Matthew 28, go make disciples. How? Evangelism, which ends in discipleship or, or which ends in baptism and you disciple them by teaching them to keep all that I've commanded. So that's, that's the great commission, right? And all the commissioning statements, Luke emphasizes the, the provision of the Holy Spirit to accomplish this mission in uh, Luke 24 and uh, Acts x 1. John emphasizes the teaching function in Jesus' interaction with Peter. Remember that study? That this is what we're here to do. Well, here, verse nine. The end of verse nine, the reason that we are this, this kingdom of priests, this royal priesthood, is so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Here's my prayer for you. Here's my concern for you. Here's why this mattered. Here's what they... Back to homiletics, here's what the preaching professor says. Did they understand why they were even there after they came? You visiting uh, young people, what'd you, get, what'd you come here for? You didn't come here to sit in the most uncomfortable seats we could find. You did that, but that's not why you came. Congratulations. We, we, I wish there was a t-shirt. I sat in these uncomfortable seats. but The reason you came was so that you would be equipped to offer the sacrifices as a believer priest that God wants. And what are those sacrifices? What do those look like? It's the works that he prepared for you in advance. It's the Christian life. And the summary Christian life, after the end of your life, what are we gonna do at your funeral? What is pastor so-and-so going to say if there's something worth saying at your funeral service, at your memorial? He's gonna share the gospel six or seven different ways. He's gonna say, She or he believed in Christ and he wants you to know he's in bliss and he wants you to have this bliss because you trust in Christ. Your whole life is the gospel. Your whole life is the proclamation of the message of Christ. That's why you came. And what you can do, you can take a new believer through here and say, hey, we've got this calling. Look at this awesome statement about us. Look at our connection to Jesus and the expectation we have of suffering. Look at the concept of worldview in verse 4 of 1 Peter 2 but also look at why we're a priesthood because we have a sacrifice to offer. And as you watch the New Testament on that, that's your whole person in the mission to which God has called us. My constant prayer for everyone in this room and everyone that's hearing my voice right now, my constant prayer for each and every one of you is that you'll figure out that God has a call on your life for this work. He doesn't have just a call on your pastor's life or the deacons or those really charged Christians that seem to be all about it he's got a call on your life for this work there is no clergy laity we're all believer priests and the sacrifices we offer are those works in support of the mission that he called us to that's how you're guaranteed that he's satisfied or he's accepting the spiritual sacrifices that it is actually what he sent us to do want to know how to fall short on that I don't know how to fall short on the spiritual sacrifices. Almost get to it and then don't. We fed the poor, but we didn't feed them the gospel. We took up a collection for someone in need, but we didn't supply the real need of Christ. We did the opposite of the Apostle Peter at the beautiful gate. We said, Christ, I'm not going to share with you, but what I've been able to scrounge together here, I'll give you silver and gold. Right? There is no social gospel It's not the gospel. The works that we're called to do are all in service to the ultimate work of Christ, which is what he's done at the cross. And yes, we feed the poor, and it's all through the New Testament. Yes, we take care of those in need however we can. Yes, we sacrifice our own comforts for the comforts of others. But it's in service to the eternal need. And this is why you could never really be a Bible-focused person spiritual Christian and be a social justice warrior in the American stripe today these are totally opposites some of you are like what's a social justice warrior this is somebody who's going to sacrifice the spiritual needs of people in order to feed their temporal needs and they're going to agree with Marx and Engels and those uh, that followed them and say, well, religion is, is a, a nice thought, but what we really do is, need to do is feed people. Many thoughts to consider tonight, but I definitely want to pray for you on the work that God has called you to do. Are you on mission? Are you rising to this challenge? Or are you a priest that doesn't do the work you've been called to do? Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone here tonight. First of all, I want to thank you for the privilege you've given us to work in your field, to be about your business. Uh, Father, you've given our lives purpose and meaning and definition by revealing what you expect of us through your Son. We don't deserve this grace, Father. That's why it's grace. But yet you have given it to us abundantly. And so, Father, we want to take seriously this charge, this claim you've got in our lives where we have the privilege of being a royal priesthood in the order of Melchizedek under Jesus Christ, our king priest, our high priest. Father, don't let us take it for granted when we're called to make spiritual sacrifices to offer what is acceptable to you. Everyone here tonight, Father, everyone the hearing my voice, help us consider our lives. Help us take it seriously to redeem the time. To recognize that priesthood carries the responsibility of service of sacrifice help us get involved in your work if we're not help us do your work in a way that pleases you and the power of your spirit if we are and father help us all take it to heart as we rejoice in the privileges before us we pray it in jesus name amen